Hey, if you are uh, just joining us today, or maybe you've been around here for uh, the last couple weeks, but you'll know that we are in the third week of our summer series called When God Goes to Starbucks. And just a, a quick recap on, on what this series is all about, why we're doing this series. Uh, if, if you remember, back in week one, we talked about how in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, the Apostle Paul tells us as Christians that we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say that we're God's ambassadors as if God himself were making his appeal through us. And so, friends, when we talk about the idea of being ambassadors for Jesus Christ, and when we talk about this series, When God Goes to Starbucks, the idea is, is that no matter where we go in the world, whether it's to the coffee shop or to our workplace or when we're hanging out with friends or neighbors, coworkers, uh, everywhere we go, everything we do as followers of Jesus Christ, we are representing God to the world. We are his ambassadors who proclaim his truth and, and live his truth out uh, in, in, our, in our world. And so this, this series that we're doing here, what we've sought to do is really address a number of the most common questions that people ask in regards to the Christian faith. And if you recall, back during the month of May, we had actually uh, asked you to submit questions that maybe you had or that people out, that you know out in the world are wrestling with or asking. And so we've taken the top six issues that came into us and are looking at addressing each of these uh, issues throughout this uh, six-week series. We're doing this, again, because of our call to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ, but also because we need to be ready to give answers when we're out there serving as ambassadors. If you recall uh, 1 Peter 3.15, Peter tells us that we are to be ready always to give to any person who asks us a reason for the hope that we have. And so that's one of the reasons why we're addressing these questions that we're looking at in this series is because we want to be ready with an answer when people ask us about some of these difficult, challenging questions of faith. Now, if you were with us two weeks ago, we started out this series and really looking at a a foundational uh, set of questions. Is there a God? Has he spoken? And if so, will we trust him and obey? And if you remember, we talked about how those really are the foundational issues that that all people need to address and, and really are the foundational premises for us in our faith as Christians. We believe there's a God. And we talked about some of the evidence for that. We believe that that God has spoken and revealed truth to us. And so if that's the case, as we talked about then, the idea of truth being relative or truth being just simply our personal subjective preferences, that might be a nice sounding idea, but truth is the way things really are. And if God has revealed truth to us, then that's what ultimately matters most. And if he has revealed truth, then the question becomes, are we going to trust him and obey when he speaks on a given issue? Now, that's the same question we're going to look at today. If there's a God, if he's spoken, will we trust him and obey when he speaks on a given issue? And today, we're going to be dealing with an issue that is probably the number one question that people ask uh, who are searching for answers about the Christian faith. Uh, I've heard this question many times myself. In fact, this was the most common question that you all submitted to us when we were collecting questions back during the month of May. And the question is this, what about people who've never heard about Jesus Christ? Now, this question is asked in a variety of ways. In fact, I think we had 10 or 12 people submit this question to us. And 
probably 10 or 12 different versions of this question. You might hear people ask, you know, well, what about the guy out in the jungle who's never heard about Jesus? Or what about the tribe out on a remote desert island who, who's never had a missionary visit them? You know, what happens to people who never hear about Jesus? Who, through no fault of their own, are maybe born into a country where, uh, or, or an area of a country where the message of the gospel hasn't been taken yet? What happens to these folks? Now, in my experience, when people ask this question, sometimes people ask this question and it's simply just a diversion. They, they don't really care about the person who's never heard the gospel. They're just simply seeking to take the pressure off of themselves by putting a tough question back at us as Christians, right? And so we need to be ready to recognize if a person's really sincere in asking this question or they're just simply trying to get themselves off the hook from dealing with their own accountability to the gospel, right? But for many people, this is an honest and legitimate question. Uh, many seekers out there today stumble over this very question. You know, it, it really strikes to the heart of God's nature, his character, uh, his fairness, his justice. You know, as Christians, we talk about that salvation is found in Jesus Christ. Those who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ are going to be eternally separated from God. And, you know, when we start talking about those issues, eternal separation and God's judgment and, and the reality of hell, right, that's a tough pill for many people to swallow. And so people naturally ask this question, well, what about those who've never heard, who've never been given the chance to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's an important question. Uh, this couple weeks ago, a friend here at Lakes Free sent me uh, an email conversation that he's been having with a young man recently. And uh, this young man raises this very question. Think about this. He, he shares here in his email, he says, my own personal belief is if there is a God they would not get hung up on whether one religion is right and another is wrong. In my own personal view, there are great people in every religion worldwide that have nothing but good, loving intentions for themselves, their families, friends, and the entire world community as a whole. These genuine, loving people in all these different religions are also trying to answer the same age-old questions. Where do we come from and what happens after we die? I simply refuse to believe that a God could send good people to a place called hell to suffer for eternity. I don't like that religions can turn into exclusive clubs that separate people that otherwise would have close loving relationships. I also can't believe that roughly 68% of the world's current population will burn in a place called hell for eternity for simply not believing in Christianity. So I simply opt out of all religions and try to live my life in a loving moral fashion and always try to live by the golden rule of treat others how you would like to be treated. I volunteer to help others when I can. Basically, I just try to be a good, honest, caring person with an open mind and ears. Friends, how many of you have heard some of those kinds of thoughts before out in our world today? These are, these are very common ideas that you'll hear out in the world. And this young man is expressing some of the common wrestlings or challenges that people have when it comes to this reality of people who have never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going to look at this issue. And we're going to look at what God's word has to say about this issue, because it is such an important question. Now, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, back in week one, we looked at three foundational questions. Is there a God? Has he spoken? And if so, will we trust him and will we obey? Now, this morning, we're not going to go back and revisit those two beginning premises. We're going to assume that it is true that there is a God, and he has revealed truth to us. I think the evidence for those two premises is overwhelming. 
uh, God's existence, God's revelation of truth. So we're going to assume that God has spoken and he's revealed truth on this matter. And then the question becomes, well, what has he told us about this? You know, when we answer friends like this young man who raises these issues in this email, this is really what it comes down to, helping to communicate the reality that there's a God who's spoken. And if God has spoken, no matter how hard the particular issue might be for us to understand or, or, or even accept, God's word is of ultimate importance. Ultimately, his word is what matters most. Now, when, when we seek to answer this particular question, what about those who've never heard about Jesus? Uh, for me personally, when I've had opportunities to share with people about this issue, I found it helpful to highlight some of the basic truths that God's revealed to us in Scripture about his nature, about the nature of humanity, and the nature of God's plan of salvation. And so when, when dealing with this question in particular, I find it most helpful to highlight five key truths, five key truths that we find in Scripture. And this is what I want to go through with you today. Truth number one this morning that we need to communicate to people is this. God is going to treat all people with perfect fairness, justice, and love. God is going to treat all people with perfect fairness, justice, and love. Let's take a look at uh, this passage from Deuteronomy 32.4, where God tells us who he is, his nature and character. God says he is the rock, his works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Friends, this is what God himself tells us about who he is, his nature and character. He's a faithful God who does no wrong. All his works are perfect, upright and just is he. Now, friends, this is an important starting point to share with people who are asking about this question, right? What about these people who haven't heard about Jesus? Well, number one, we need to make very clear to people that, you know what, whatever happens to them, God is perfect, and all of his ways are just. He's a faithful God, and he does no wrong. And friends, if that's the truth, do we need to worry about anyone being unjustly or unfairly punished by God if these things are true about who our God is? I don't think so. God also tells us about his heart for people. Take a look at this next passage from 1 Timothy 2, 3-4. through this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Friends, how many people does God want to be saved? All people. God wants all to be saved. Take a look at this next passage of Scripture. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Friends, this is who God is. This is God's nature and character. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just as he. Friends, this is God's heart for people. God wants none to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now again, friends, if this is who God is, do we need to worry that God won't be fair when dealing with the person who by no fault of their own never had the opportunity to hear the name of Jesus? I think we need to trust 
God's word about who he is, his nature and character, and his heart for people. This is the first and really foundational truth that I find helpful to share with people who are wrestling with this question. Now, the second truth that we need to help people understand from Scripture, and this is critically important. The second truth is this. The guy in the jungle is as guilty as Billy Graham. The guy in the jungle is as guilty as Billy Graham. Friends, there are no innocent natives or evangelists. They're all guilty. Take a look at what Ecclesiastes tells us about this point. Ecclesiastes 7.20. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous. No one who does what is right and never sins. Friends, this is a basic, critical truth. There is no innocent guy out on some remote island who's waiting to hear and is going to be judged for eternity because he hasn't. Every single person in the world is guilty in the eyes of God. Why are we guilty? We're guilty because we sin. Romans 3.23 says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God and his holiness is perfect. He's morally pure. He's free from any sin. And yet all of us as humans have been infected, have been tainted with a spiritual disease called sin. And because of this spiritual disease called sin, because of our sin, we all stink. You stink. Now, friends, I know I've told you this before. You've heard this from me. You guys stink. Some of you guys might be here for the first time this morning, and you haven't heard that you stink. But trust me, you stink. And if you don't believe me that you stink, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and smell the person sitting next to you, okay? Go ahead, take a whiff of them. James, come on, take a whiff. What, take a whiff of the person. What do you smell? I'll tell you what you smell. You smell their stink, or you smell something covering up their stink, right? <laughs> but friends, we all stink. We stink physically because of our sin, but more significantly, we stink spiritually, because of our sin that separates us from a holy God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of our sin is death. Death and ultimately eternal separation from God. Why is that the case? It's because God is holy. He is morally pure. And we are not. We're not. We're sinners. And friends, there is nothing that we could ever do of our own power, our own merit, to come into the presence of a holy God. It's really interesting. Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah 64, verse 6, he tells us that all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags in the eyes of a holy God. There's nothing you can do to enter God's presence on your own. You know, I tell people, it's kind of like trying to mix oil and water. Right? Let's say we have a big five-gallon pail of water up here this morning, and I take a quart of motor oil, and I pour this quart of motor oil into this five-gallon pail of water. What's going to happen to that oil and water? Is it going to mix together? No, it's going to separate, right? The oil is going to all float to the top. Now, you could come out with a big wooden spoon and start stirring that bucket together, start trying to mix it together. What's going to happen? Well, you know, the oil might bubble and turn into clumps, but it's going to still stay separate. You could get a big cement mixer and, you know, grind away at that thing trying to mix it, but that oil and water is always going to stay separate from one another because by their very natures, they are two different, two distinct things, and they do not mix. And friends, that's how it is with us and God. God is holy. We're not. 
And because of our sin, we are separated from our creator God. So when it comes to the guy in the jungle who's never heard about Jesus, understand this, friends. No one is going to face God's judgment because they haven't heard of Jesus. Hell isn't the penalty for ignorance. It's the penalty for our sin. We're going to talk more about God's judgment and the reality of hell next week. That was another one of the big questions that was submitted to us. But you need to understand, hell isn't the penalty for our ignorance. It's the penalty for our sin. And there's not one person on this planet today or throughout history that hasn't been tainted by sin. And because of that, we all need to be saved from this condition. We need salvation. This leads me to truth number three that God's word reveals to us. Truth number three is this. God's plan of salvation is one way. It's one way. In John 3, 16 through 18, Jesus himself tells us this. He says, for God so loved the world. This is the words of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Jesus himself tells us that there's only one way to be saved. It's by believing in God's one and only Son. In John 14, 6, Jesus tells us that I am the way I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, according to Jesus. In Acts 4.12, Peter proclaims that there is no other name given under heaven whereby humanity can be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. There's no other name, friends. In Acts 16.31, Paul and Silas, the jailer, asked Paul and Silas, what do I need to do to be saved? Paul says very clearly, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You know, friends, God hasn't given us a bunch of options when it comes to the way to salvation. He's told us very clearly there's only one way to be saved. We all need Jesus. It's God's one-way plan of salvation. Now, friends, we may not like this fact, we may wish this wasn't the case. I mean, honestly, you know what? I would love to be able to stand up here this morning and tell you, you know what? There are 10, 15, 20 different ways to get to God this morning. That'd be great. I'd love to be able to tell you that. But friends, you know what? What I wish was the case, what I would prefer, is completely irrelevant. It doesn't matter in light of the truth. And what is the truth? What has God revealed? The truth is that God has revealed that there is only one way to be saved. And so what we wish was the case, what we would personally prefer to be the case, all of that is irrelevant. What matters on this question is what has God revealed to us? What, are, what is the truth the way things really are? You know, you may recall back in week one, I shared this illustration of, you know, say you were to go to the doctor and the doctor diagnoses you with diabetes. And the doctor says, for the rest of your life, you're going to need a medicine to control your disease. You're going to need to take insulin, right? 
Friends, if you recall, we talked about it would be absolutely foolish to begin arguing with your doctor about your diagnosis and his prescription for you when insulin is the thing you need. Insulin is the thing that heals, what cures, what remedies your condition. And it would be absolutely foolish to say, ah, you know, I'm not a big insulin fan. How about some Tylenol? Or how about some Triaminic? Or, you know, NyQuil maybe, right? That would be foolish. Because the doctor has the test results. He knows the way things really are. He knows what you need, what remedies your condition. And if God exists, and if God has spoken on this question, friends, his word alone on this matter is all that matters. His word alone is all that matters. Truth number four this morning. We remain under the mandate of the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus, his final words to his disciples. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, friends, this is an odd command if people are okay without Jesus. This is a very odd command if people are are all okay in their native beliefs, okay in their native religions. Why would Jesus tell his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations if people are okay as they are? But you see, friends, the reality is they're not okay. They're not okay as they are. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there is a one-way plan of salvation that God has given to this world, and it's through his son, Jesus Christ. And because of that, friends, people need Jesus. They need to hear the message of Jesus. And God has commissioned us, as we talked about earlier, to be his ambassadors, to go into the world and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. A few years back at my former church, I, I spent a couple years as a college minister there at my former church, and I had a young man in my college ministry, uh, his name was Billy, and uh, Billy was a believer, but there, he spent a period of time during his college years where he was wrestling with his faith, and he had a bunch of doubts and questions, and so every Sunday he would come to me, and, and he would ask different questions, and we would work through these questions, talk together. Well, Billy went through this stretch of about a month or two where this question we're looking at today was really the one that was giving him a lot of grief. Uh, he was really wrestling with this question, what about people who've never heard about Jesus? And he would come to me almost every Sunday, Jason, I hear what you're saying, I believe this is all true, but I, I, just, I, I can't get over the fact, what about the guy out in the jungle who's never heard about Jesus? I mean, it's just, it just doesn't seem fair to me. That a person who's born out on some remote island who's never had a missionary come and visit them would face God's judgment because they've never heard about Jesus. And so we would talk about this, but it was like seriously a period of weeks where Billy just kept coming, and this was the one question that just kept bugging him and bugging him. What about the guy who's never heard about Jesus? Well, 
I tried to, to lovingly answer his questions for a period of a few weeks, but after a while, I finally sort of got tired of asking, dealing with the same question over and over again. So one Sunday, uh, I'm sorry to say this, but really out of frustration, Billy raised this question, and out of frustration, I just said, Billy, here's the deal. If you're so worried about the guy out in the jungle who's never heard about Jesus, why don't you go do something about it? Why don't you go tell him about Jesus? Friends, you see the point here? We can sit around and we can complain about God's plan of salvation. We can critique God's plan of salvation all we want. But again, friends, what matters is what is true. And if this is the plan of salvation that God has revealed to the world, the way that people can be made right in their relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Friends, we may not like that that's the only option, but that's completely irrelevant. And the best thing that we can do now is to take God's commission seriously and to go out and do something about it. How am I going to contribute to the cause of the Great Commission so that I can help make sure that all people in the world get a chance to hear about Jesus Christ? God has called us to be his ambassadors to the world. Each and every one of us. My friend Billy, by the way, he got it. Billy today, I'm proud to say, is actually serving as a missionary over in Poland. Because God touched his heart, and he realized, you know what? I can sit around and complain about this all I want, but otherwise I can go and do what Jesus called me to do. And I can go, and I can go tell people who need to know about Jesus. Friends, that's what it's all about. How can we contribute to the Great Commission? You know, I like to tell people the Great Commission is still as relevant today as it ever was. It's still as valid and as in effect today as it was 2,000 years ago. Jesus has never rescinded the Great Commission, friends. Okay? The same call that he gave his disciples 2,000 years ago is still in effect for us today. And the reality is, friends, I know that's a fact because there is no way that Jesus could have just been talking to those 11 disciples when he gave this great commission. There's no way those 11 guys alone could have fulfilled this challenge to go to all nations and make disciples. Jesus was given this commission to the global, worldwide, historical church. This is our job, to go and be ambassadors who make disciples of all nations. So what about those who've never heard about Jesus? Well, friends, these first four truths answer some of our question, but not all of it. There's still one more critical piece to this puzzle that we need to consider, and that's the reality of God's general revelation. You may recall we talked about general revelation a bit back in week one. General revelation is God's self-revelation to the world through what has been made, through his creation. Truth number five this morning is this. God has made himself known to all people. God has made himself known to all people. In Romans 1, 18 through 20, the Apostle Paul tells us this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Friends, God has made himself known to all people through what has been made. 
Back in week one, we looked at Psalm 19, one through four, where King David talks about the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. David says there is no voice or language or nation in which their voice isn't heard. That all people have heard the truth through what has been made. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, we're told that God has put eternity in the hearts of men and women. God has instilled in each of us an innate longing, an innate desire to know him and to worship him and have a relationship with him. This is common to all people. We read in Romans 2.15 that God has written his law upon our hearts and upon our consciences. Every single person in the world innately, instinctively knows God's truth and God's moral law. He's written it on our hearts. Friends, we see the evidence of this throughout history and around the world. Do you know today, friends, do you know that there has never been a purely atheistic society anywhere in the history of the world? Do you know that every civilization, every society that's ever been studied, that's ever been discovered, every people group in the history of the world have always worshipped something? And if they haven't worshipped the true God, instead of worshipping nothing, they'll worship anything. Where do these innate religious longings and desires come from? Friends, they come from our creator God who made us as worshipping beings. We were made for worship. And if we're not worshipping the true God, we're not going to worship nothing, we'll worship anything. And we see this reality throughout history and around the world. We also see the reality throughout history and around the world of how God has written his moral law onto our hearts, onto our consciences. Do you know that throughout history and around the world, every civilization, every society that's ever been known and discovered has recognized some basic moral truths? Killing another person is wrong. A common universal value in all cultures throughout history. Stealing another's property is wrong. A common universal value throughout history. Taking another person's wife in adultery is wrong, a common universal value throughout history. Friends, where do these basic moral understandings, these basic moral truths come from? If we're nothing more than evolved slimy algae. But friends, we're not. We're the product of a creator God who made us, who instilled in each of us a desire to know him who instilled in each of us a conscience with a moral code written on our hearts, according to Romans 2. All people have the basic knowledge of God within them and see it through what has been made. Nobody is going to be able to stand before God on the day of judgment and say to God, but I didn't know. In Acts 14, 17, Paul says that God has not left himself without a testimony. He's revealed himself in creation, and he's written his truth on our hearts and our consciences. And friends, you need to understand this. People aren't condemned for what they don't know or haven't done, but for what they do know and for what they have done. Willfully rejecting God in his revelation to us. Paul says people suppress the truth. We know the truth. God's written it on our hearts. We see it in creation But people reject the truth. They suppress it and choose to go their own way. The good news today is this. 
Those who want to find God can. Those who want to find God can. And friends, for those that do want to find God, God will reveal even more of himself to them. If there is a person out there today who is genuinely seeking God, who's responding to God's general revelation, God will reveal more of himself to them. In other words, for those who respond to the light of God's general revelation, God will reveal even more light to them. How do I know this? I know this because God tells us this in Hebrews 11, verse 6. Hebrews 11, verse 6, God says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Friends, God rewards those who earnestly seek him. If someone is earnestly seeking after God, I'm confident that God will make sure they receive the revelation necessary for salvation. If there is somebody out there today who is generally seeking after God, responding to God's general revelation that they see in creation, responding to the moral law written on our hearts and our consciences, God will not let anything stand in the way of somebody hearing the necessary truth for them to be saved. God rewards those who earnestly seek after him. How do I know this? I know this because God's done this in the past. In Acts chapter 8, we read the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. You might recall, incredible story. Philip is praying one day. All of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appears to Philip and tells Philip, Philip, I want you to go south on the desert road that leads out of Jerusalem. The angel doesn't tell Philip why. He just says, go. So Philip obeys, and he goes down the desert road that leads out of Jerusalem, out into the desert. Make no sense. He just goes. On his way, he runs into an Ethiopian guy who's in a chariot, this Ethiopian guy turns out to be the head of the Ethiopian treasury, works for the queen of Ethiopia. He's reading a scroll of Isaiah. Philip hears this Ethiopian reading the scroll of Isaiah. So he goes to this man and he says to this Ethiopian, he says, sir, do you understand what you're reading here? And the Ethiopian says, no, how can I understand it unless somebody explains it to me? Philip then shares what this passage in Isaiah is all about. It's a passage, a prophetic passage, talking about the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Philip leads this man to the Lord. He becomes a believer right there on the spot. He's baptized right there on the spot. Friends, do you know that this Ethiopian government official, Irenaeus, who's a second century early church father, he reports that this Ethiopian government official went back to Ethiopia and became a missionary to all of his people. Friends, if somebody is earnestly seeking after God, God will make sure they get the message they need to hear. We see examples of this in the book of Acts, chapter 10, Peter and Cornelius. Cornelius, we're told, is a God-fearing man. He's not a Jew. He's a Roman centurion, but he fears the God of the Jews. And one day, Cornelius has a vision, and in his vision, an angel appears to him and tells him that he's supposed to send his servants to the city of Joppa, where they will find a man named Peter, and they are to bring him back, and he's going to give them the message that they need to hear. At the same time as Cornelius is having this vision, Peter is in prayer in Joppa, and he has a vision. And Peter has a vision where God tells him that he is, so, he is now supposed to go and take the message of the gospel to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. So 
Cornelius sends his servants. They find Peter. They bring Peter back. Peter shares the gospel with Cornelius. Cornelius and all of his family become believers. Someone seeking after God who did not know the truth, but God made sure they got the truth they needed to hear. Does God still work like this today? Absolutely he does. My uncle was a pastor, a Baptist minister for 30 plus years, just retired this past year. He was sharing a story with me recently of missionaries that his church supported down in the Amazonian jungle of Venezuela. These missionaries worked with a tribe, a people group called the Yanomamo. They were a previously unreached people group. Years ago, the shaman of this tribe, the medicine man, he was in a vision trance. He was having a vision, and in his vision, he saw in his vision what looked like to be stacks of banana leaves with markings on them. And in his vision, he was told by the great spirit that someone was going to come with these stacks of what looked like banana leaves with markings on them and that he was supposed to listen to the words on these carvings, these markings. This, this man's name was Shoefoot. Well, a few years later, the missionaries came to their village. And the missionaries showed them the Bible. And when Shoefoot saw the Bible, he recognized that that was what I saw in my vision. That was what I thought were the banana leaves with markings. It was God's word, the Bible. Shufoot became a believer. He led his tribe to Christ. Many people now in the Yanomamo tribe have come to embrace Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. God will not let anything stand in the way of somebody who is earnestly seeking after him. Four years ago, my cousin, who's a missionary in the Philippines, was telling me an incredible story. Four years ago, up in the island of northern Luzon in the Philippines, there was a tribe, an unreached tribe, the chief of this tribe had a dream. In his dream, he was shown two men who were going to come with a black book, and he was told in his dream that you're supposed to listen to these men and the words in this book. Six months later, the missionaries showed up in their village. The chief saw the missionaries that he had seen in his dream. They saw the black book. It was the Bible. He became a believer. They led their whole tribe to the Lord. This was just four years ago. Friends, God will not let anything stand in the way of someone who is earnestly seeking him and his truth. But we're still left with a question this morning. What about the person who would receive the light of the gospel but never hears? What if they never get the message? What about the God seeker who died the day after the crucifixion? Or the one who died just days before the missionaries arrived? What happens to them? Well, I believe the answer to this question is found in Genesis 15, verse 6. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. The word believed here connotes more than just an intellectual recognition. It implies a, a coming alongside of God, a commitment and repentance. This kind of belief, it requires a change of heart. And Abram had a heart for God. And God credited it to him as righteousness. He didn't know God's one-way plan of salvation. He just believed God. We see the same kind of belief in the Old Testament heroes of faith mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews 11, 1 through 2, we read, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. For their faith. And throughout Hebrews 11, we read of these great heroes of faith. Some of them, like Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho, had probably very little knowledge of the God of Israel. 
and yet she was commended for her faith. These people responded to the light that they had received. And in responding by faith to the light that they had received, God made sure that they heard what they needed to hear, or he simply commended them for their faith, which is what his word tells us. Now, here's the question. Does God still credit belief like this today as righteousness? I can't say for certain, but I hope so. It would certainly be consistent with his character that we considered earlier. Now, before we get too carried away with this possibility, though, let me remind you of something that should give us pause for thought. My friend Jay Carty, he's a Christian evangelist. He wrote a great book, Playing the Odds, has a great section on this very question that we're looking at. Jay Carty, in his book, Playing the Odds, he makes an interesting observation. He says, biblical scholars generally agree that during the days of Noah, there were at least several million people alive on the face of the earth. And for all those millions of people alive in the days of Noah, how many believe God properly? We know for sure. The Bible tells us. There was just one. It was Noah. Take a look at Genesis 6. There was only Noah. Now, friends, this is tremendously significant. Because consider this. How many people do you think are alive out in our world today who haven't heard the good news of Jesus? but believe God like Abram or Noah? I don't know either. But if the hearts of people in our world today bear any resemblance to those in Noah's day, the odds aren't very good. In that day, there was only Noah. There might not be any today. Can you never hear the name of Jesus and still be saved? Maybe. I hope so, but I don't think there will be very many, if any at all. Remember how many there weren't in the days of Noah. Friends, let me wrap up this message this morning with the most important truth I can share with you this morning. You know, at the end of the day, we have to entrust those who've never heard about Jesus into the hands of our Heavenly Father. But please understand something this morning. What happens to them won't make any difference to you. What happens to them won't make any difference to you. You have heard the truth. You have received God's one-way plan of salvation. And for those of us who have heard about Jesus, who know God's one-way plan of salvation, we're left with two essential questions. Number one, have I put my trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord? You know, friends, every day, 150,000 to 250,000 people around the world pass away. If you do the math, it works out to be about one every second. Tomorrow's not guaranteed for any of us. Hebrews 9.27 says that it's destined for man to die once and then face judgment. We're all going to stand before the Lord one day. God's going to ask us one question. He's going to say, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? What did you do with my one-way plan of salvation? 
Did you trust in him? Did you believe in him? Friends, the good news this morning is this. Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Friends, if you've never embraced God's one-way plan of salvation, I pray that this morning you would profess Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. That you would put your trust in him and know with certainty today that you are saved, you are now a child of God because of what Jesus did when he died on the cross for your sins to make a way for you to come back into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. For those of us who have heard the good news this morning, the second essential question we need to ask ourselves is this. How will I, how will I contribute to the Great Commission? What role can I play in making sure the good news of Jesus, the only hope of the world, is heard by all people? In Romans 10, again, the Apostle Paul goes on to say, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear with someone, without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Friends, what role can you play in advancing the cause of the Great Commission? You know, all of us are called to be God's ambassadors. Maybe it's sharing the Lord with a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, someone God's placed on your heart. Maybe for some of you, God's going to call you to go into world missions, like my friend Billy, like the Lauderdales and Bombs, like the Pino family here in our church who are currently raising the support to go to Panama as missionaries, like Becca Phillips, who we heard from a couple weeks ago, who this morning is over in Nepal sharing the gospel. Like Mandy Muha, who's down in Haiti working with Missionary Aviation Fellowship. Maybe God will raise up some of you to go out into the world and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can also all give towards the cause of world missions. Maybe you're not the one to go, but you can give. You can give your money. You can give your time. You can give your encouragement. All of us can give. This morning, in fact, we're going to have an opportunity as we leave to actually give towards the cause of the Great Commission this morning. Friends, we've heard. We know the truth. How will we respond? I'm going to have the worship team come back up and lead us in one final song, but let's close in a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only hope of the world. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us, providing a way of salvation. We thank you for the privilege you've given us of partnering and carrying out the Great Commission, taking the good news of the gospel to all people. Lord, we thank you for our missionary friends like the Bombs and Lauderdales, and for those within our church that you've raised up to go out into the world and carry the good news. Lord, I pray that each of us here this morning might be inspired to live passionately and boldly as ambassadors for you that people would see the light of the glory of the gospel shine through us, that they would hear us speak words of truth and encouragement into their lives, that we would do this in the name of Jesus, and that we would never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. 
Lord, this morning as we leave and as we have this opportunity to give towards the work of the ongoing reaching of the Sani people in China, I just pray, Father, that you will inspire many here to give generously towards this need so that we could continue to provide a vehicle and transportation so that our missionaries can continue to bring the gospel to these people who need to hear it. Thank you, Jesus, for the privilege you've given us of serving you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.